0: on the daily sports talk show. Nuwana is now. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana. Handsomest man in the world. I mean, besides the guy who was wearing the accidentally pink shirt. But a lot of great talk radio coming at you. What's up, everybody? It's Nuanas now. ESPN radio. No Rajim Seabrook. Uh, he was gonna be in. He's not in. That's all good. Uh busy time of year, busy schedules. It's always busy. Life's busy. That's sort of the definition of <laughs> becoming an adult, right? But because of that, we're going to switch up the order of operation. We are going to continue our conversation about Big Sky Conference football because, of course, we are. I put the finishing touches on my preseason poll, my preseason all-conference team. I should say our because there was some crowdsourcing involved in this. One of the guys that uh, is a part of this Skyline Sports MT vote, ESPN Missoula vote, is Andrew Houghton, our producer. So we will discuss how I voted, and why I voted the way I did for both the all-Big Sky preseason team and our predicted order of finish in the Big Sky Conference. We were also going to talk about the dynamic of Bobby Howe and transfers. The Montana head football coach has bemoaned the state of affairs in college football quite extensively, yet he has capitalized on the one-time transfer rule and the... uh, this phenomenon that is the NCAA transfer portal, as as well as any coach in the Big Sky Conference, can you have both? Can you not like the state of the situation and still figure out a way to use it to your advantage? I think so. I think that's what Montana's doing. I think that's what Bobby Howe and his staff have done really well. So we'll talk about that. We also uh, have some wings from the Desperado Sports Tavern and Grill. Desperado there uh, across from the YMCA on Russell Street. The best wings you're going to find in the city of Missoula. we got an opportunity for you to win a basket of those wings. Coming up about 445, we're going to dive into my favorite book. If you haven't been following along, you're going to want to start following along. Important history lessons that are also just filled with so many rich anecdotes and, and so much fun entertainment. So we'll wrap up our number one with free wings and fun stories. Our number two... ESPN Roundtable time, recorded this morning with Matt Brown. He is a national college football writer. He is the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter. And uh, their niche is covering all the stuff off the field in college football, putting the college in college football. So he is certainly an expert when it comes to all of this college football realignment. And he has many thoughts on what it means for the state of the game, what it means for the future of the top level of college football and what it means for all the rest of the levels of Division I college football. So we'll be joined by Matt Brown, top of the hour. Then we're also going to talk some British Open, some NFL, and send you to the weekend. No show tomorrow or Friday. This is my uh, fifth summer now, having the distinct pleasure of getting to play in the Missoula Country Club member guest tournament. It's a really, really, really fun gathering and a really fun competition 84 teams this year, which is quite impressive and uh, very stoked to play with my great friend and, and great friend of this show, great supporter of this show, Nick Tabor. So appreciate, Tabes for inviting me once again, and uh, this is kind of the only time where I, I tell you exactly the specifics of why I'm taking off work. A lot of times I take off work so I can go have some peace, but also brainstorm what's next around here when it comes to our content creation enterprise between ESPN Radio and, and Skyline Sports. Uh, but this this is just for I should I was going to say relaxation, but I guarantee I'm not going <laughs> to relax on the golf course. But it is for the competition, the fun. So we won't have a show tomorrow or Friday. But back to your regularly scheduled programming uh, the following week. So this is the last duan is now of the week. There you go. It's your show outlook presented by Brent Wahlberg and the Wahlberg Team. Wahlberg Team, the official realtors of Grizz Athletics. Any. Real estate questions you have in Western Montana. Give Brent and his team a call today. You want to stream Nuanas now? You always can. ESPN Montana app or 1029ESPN.com. If you go to the station website, click on the Listen Live tab. You can stream it. Or you can always use that ESPN Montana app. Great way to follow along on this show live and or archived uh, every weekday. And it's also going to be a great place to check out all things Grizz Hockey, all things Grizz Lacrosse. Grizz Hockey team released their schedule today, so we'll go over that here uh, towards the hour of number or towards the end, excuse me, of hour number one. So stay tuned for that. If you want to be a part of the show, you have Big Sky Conference football questions, comments, uh, narratives that you want us to talk about, narratives that you want to talk about. Text us or call us 406-888-1029, That's 888-1029, Call and/or text. Any and everything that you're wondering or wanting to hear about in the wide world of sports in Montana, but specifically uh, within the Big Sky Conference as we dive into some Big Sky football action. One note for you from the uh, world of professional baseball here in Montana. The Missoula Paddleheads will have to wait at least one more day. They're going to have to wait until at least tonight to sew up that first half Pioneer League Championship. The Paddleheads went into their off day Monday, riding a nine-game winning streak and just uh, with a magic number of one. Basically, a win by them or a loss by the Great Falls Voyagers would equal clinching the first-half Pioneer League North title. They also happened to be playing the Voyagers, so it was not one or the other. It was one and the other. But the Voyagers extended it for one more game. They beat the Paddleheads last night. So now Missoula uh, has an opportunity to close it out tonight. The next five games are all in Great Falls. So the next time you see the Paddleheads... uh, Maybe they'll be Pioneer League champions, but you're not going to get to see them clinch it at home. Uh, but the first half does have just these five games left. All the Paddleheads need to do is win one of these five games to sew up the uh, first half Pioneer League North championship uh, for the first time. All right, so here's what we're going to do uh, here on Nuanas Now. A little Big Sky Breakdown presented by Skyline Sports. Go check out Skylinesportsmt.com. ton of content for you always, but we have a whole bunch of new content coming up, Big Sky Media Days. It's coming up in, uh, I guess, two weeks from Monday. Or is it a week from Monday? A week from Monday. So we have... Uh, that's sort of the official opening of football season in my mind and then in my subsequent actions. So uh, it's right around the corner. That's why we've been talking so much Big Sky football here. So let's dive into a little Big Sky football uh, as we've done all week already. You can find all the rest of our conversations here Um on the Nuanas Now podcast, so go check those out. Uh, basically led the show with Big Sky Conference Football Talk each of the last couple days. Uh, what do you think? Should we do polls or players first? Uh, polls we should be able to do pretty quickly. Okay, I think that's good. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide this up into what I think are the tiers within this 12-team league. And the way that we do this is we go through the entire composite schedule and we kind of score it out, wins and losses, then we see where we're at and maybe adjust a couple. Um, I mean, obviously, there's no sweet science to this. If there was, we would be you know, making a ton of money as professional gamblers, and that's certainly far from the truth. But I, I do think we can kind of see relatively where we think teams are going to finish within this league. And so in this poll, I have uh, the bottom four from bottom up I have Cal Poly, Idaho State, and Northern Colorado. When we put pencil to paper, I scored those out with each one-league win. The unfortunate part about it for those teams, although I do think that they would be toward the bottom of the league no matter what the scheduling circumstance was, they all have really hard schedules, and they hardly play each other, and so I think that, that that's part of it. But I, I think that my my bottom four there also includes Portland State. There's a lot of um, uncertainty about Portland State, both as the future of the football program as well as just uh, what they have coming back because they did graduate a pretty good senior class. So, I mean, I don't necessarily need the order, but any debate here are those definitively the bottom four teams in the league? Is there anybody else that could be in that
1: bottom four uh, that you maybe would swap out? No, I think preseason the other seven teams in the league are, are a cut above there. The other eight teams in the league are, are definitely a cut above those four. You know, I don't think it would be crazy to see somebody else fall into that tier during the season with the two or three win season in conference. But I think right now, you know, you'd be really surprised to see any of those four jump up a tier.
0: And again, so much of it has to do with the scheduling as well. If you know, Cal Poly, maybe they hit at quarterback. I mean, here's the one narrative within this league right now we touched on this earlier this week but it remains true there's a lot of transfers right now that are on campuses right now that will likely be parts of teams in the big sky that we don't know about there's there, first of all there's transfers that are officially on rosters that we don't know how they'll impact the league and then there's other transfers that we straight up don't know about and i'm sure that there's some of, some or a lot of both of those things. I mean, like, I, there's not really a media outlet right now that's covering Portland State. So we don't really know. I mean, they might have a whole bunch of Power 5 guys coming in. You know, when we talked, uh, last time we talked to people from Portland State, they did say that they had uh, some Power 5 guys on the horizon when it comes to their offensive line, but that was the case last year as well. So, okay, so that, that's kind of our bottom four, no matter what order you put them in. Then my next tier, my middle tier, I have Eastern Washington, Northern Arizona, and Idaho. Uh, I do think that Eastern has a really hard schedule, as we talked about earlier this week. And uh, I think if they won a couple games, they might be oh, won a couple of their coin flip games. They could move up into that true playoff contention in one of those top five spots. I think there's four playoff teams in the league this year. But uh, I do think Eastern's right there at the top of the Uh, second tier, right outside the playoffs. Northern Arizona has a little bit of an advantageous schedule, so they could get five league wins, but they do play uh, two FBS games, so uh, six and five would be a a good scenario for them, but probably put them towards the middle of the league. And then Idaho is sitting there. uh, At number eight, I had them And uh, I kind of think their over-under for league wins is like three and a half. I had it down as four in this. But I think that would be incredibly optimistic, really, if you're Idaho. If you had four and four in league play in Jason X first season, that'd be pretty good. But, yeah, I mean, any any disputes,
1: debates here? Yeah, that'd be a good stepping stone for Idaho if they got to 500 this year. I think, you know, Idaho and NAU are sort of the yo-yo teams this year where – I wouldn't be all that surprised to see one of those teams contending for a playoff spot late in the season. Uh, I also wouldn't be surprised to see one of those teams sort of dropping into that lower tier because we just had so many unknowns there. Idaho, of course, new coach this year, new quarterback, Jabari Gibbs, the South Dakota State transfer, uh, who's apparently on campus this summer. So who knows what he'll be playing like? Idaho still has some talent on that team. And NAU had the young guys last year, R.J. Martinez quarterback, Kevin Daniels at running back, plus they've got you know Morgan Vest coming back at safety. They've got some experienced players. They do. Did you have three or four tiers in the entire league? You had four? Well,
0: I think I, have, I, think I just have the three, because I, I think it's okay. that bottom tier, then there's the middle tier, and then I think the top tier includes five teams that are truly in the mix for playoff spots. And it's been the the teams that have been the playoff teams the last couple years. I mean, there is some stability here in terms of atop the league. And so from fifth through one, I had UC Davis at five, Weber State at four, Sac State at three, Montana State at two, and Montana picked to win the
1: league. Yeah, I I like it. We've talked about the Montana being number one, and I said that I wasn't sure that I was ready to go there. It really does come down to uh, you know who do you think's going to win that season finale in Bozeman? Sure. Whether you want Montana or Montana State on top? Yeah, that's um,
0: interesting. Uh, yeah, you know, see, I, when I I scored it out, I had both teams going into that final game in Bozeman at six and one in league play. Right. So that is kind of the de facto championship. That's what's so funny is I score. The entire regular season until that one game, and that's the only one I never pick, and I never, and I always just leave it blank. So it's always the scenario, but, but going this year it into might the decide last who's game, who's one and oh, who's absolutely. two? Absolutely, no question. I mean, it, this could decide not only who's one and two in the league. I, I I said this on SWX Montana Television with Sean Rainey the other day. I said that I thought that the the is game would be for the conference title and a top four seed in the FCS playoffs. If if things go as well as they possibly could for Montana, then I think it's for the number two seed in the FCS playoffs for both teams. Because if things go as well as they could for Montana, then if you're Montana State and you beat them, you could play your way up to a two seed, even if you have an additional loss than the Grizz at that moment. And if things go as well as it could for Montana State, that is your best scenario, and maybe they're a top two or three seed as well. So I do think that's, it's going to be an enormous rivalry game this year.
1: Yeah, if it does play out where they're both 6-1 and one heading into that game, I'd, I would give the Cats a little bit of an advantage just because it is over in Bozeman. For sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that works out. And, you know, Sac State's definitely in that tier. So my question was, I think the Montana schools and Sac State might be in a little bit of a tier of their own there. And then I might have the middle tier, you know, Eastern Washington, Sac State, Weber State, sort of down in the middle tier, even with okay. schools like okay. NAU and Idaho. And I'm try- okay. I'm trying to debate that. Uh, you know, I actually think that that's valid.
0: And again, it's going to come down to who beats who, when, and where, right? I right. mean, we're going to see these teams square off against each other and... That's the thing, is is not only is the matchup between them going to be so big, what do you do right after it, right? Like, let's say the Grizz go into Sacramento and beat them. Well, then how do they not have a letdown game the next week? Or, if Sac beats Montana, okay, that's a win maybe you didn't expect Sac to get, even though they are on their home field. You know, ESPN2 is there and everything. Hornets come out and beat them. Well, maybe they can carry some momentum into you know against Weber State later on down the season. There's also just so many matchup things that happen in these two, right? Like... If your program is built on, like with Weber State in the secondary, they're one of the best secondaries in the league. But let's say one of their their starting quarters gets hurt before they play Sac State. Okay, boom, now all your predictions are completely out the window. But maybe I do agree, actually. If we were going to actually say it like that, here's what I actually think. I think there's two surefire playoff teams in the Big Sky Conference. Interesting. Montana and Montana State. Interesting. And I think that uh, Weber... If they can beat either of those schools is into the playoffs, yeah. given what the rest of their schedule is. And then the rest of it is a corn flip. So maybe you say Weber is at the top of that second tier. That also includes Sac State, UC Davis, Eastern Washington, and Northern Arizona. Those are the seven teams. Or I guess those are the five teams I could see fighting for the other two playoff spots in the league.
1: Yeah, here's the way I had it laid out. I think that if if everything I think Montana, Montana State and I have Sac State up there with them, those are the teams where if everything goes right for them, they're looking at a seed. And then the right. middle of the conference is the is the teams who could be in the playoffs. They're going for a playoff spot, maybe a low seed. You know, if something breaks really right right for Weber State or UC Davis. Right. And then the bottom four of the teams that are not going to have a shot at the playoffs. And you can debate whether Idaho is in there with with those teams. I, I'm in on Idaho, which is like one of my biggest weaknesses. I would put Idaho in where So why, where, is where that? Things break why right. that? Why
0: are the, Why are you in on Idaho?
1: I just think the, here's here's what's crazy. The vibe shift. Man. Here's what I here's what's crazy
0: though. Everybody's in on Idaho. I know. And I'm trying to weigh in my mind if it's because the vibe shift is so good, and we think Jason Hick. He- it could be so good or because Paul Petrino was the opposite of that. Like, I'm trying to
1: figure out wh- or maybe it's just both. Maybe it's just a combination of both. I mean, they they. it is very possible that they made the biggest improvement in the conference at both coach and quarterback. Yes. I found it I,
0: I know that sometimes I get a little bit out over my skis in terms of, of chiding how funny I think it is when Idaho... Uh, the funniest circumstance that existed at Idaho during the Paul Petrino era once they returned to the Big Sky Conference and Mason Petrino, for better or worse, was their starting quarterback, was Idaho had multiple NFL guys, or I guess multiple pros, on their roster at quarterback. Like Mike Baudry. I remember watching Mike Baudry during the spring season. The first spring game I remember watching was Idaho versus Eastern Washington. Baudry looked pretty good, and then I believe he got dinged up in that game. Well, now he's in the CFL. (laughs) And it's just funny that they had Jake Luton, who ended up starting for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Mike Beaudry. So I guess that's the other thing I think that emphasizes it. They made an improvement in head coach, or at least perceived, and it remains to be seen. Maybe Jason Eck is a total disaster. We'll see. That's right, yeah. But I think that for sure they made an improvement in offensive coordinator because guess who the OC is? Jason Eck. I mean, I, I'm just saying he, like, he has an OC, but he's, he comes from an OC background. They're going to be running Jason Eck's offense, which at South Dakota State the last several years has been very good, very modern, and they're bringing in a transfer who not only is talented, who not only was slated to start at a top-level FCS program in South Dakota State, but who also is familiar with the system. So you're, you're bringing a lot to the table. So I, I agree with you. It is, on the surface, easy to buy Idaho for sure.
1: And here's the other thing, because we always have to mention this: their schedule is not awful. I think they have four really winnable games at least in conference: Northern Arizona, Northern Colorado, Portland State, uh, and Idaho State. They could very easily get to four and four, and then you know they've got Eastern Washington and UC Davis both at home. I mean, they could they could certainly win one of those games as well. No, is now ESPN Radio. SWX Montana
0: Television, all things Big Sky Football. If you're wondering why I keep looking at my phone, it's because I don't have my computer. I'm off the next two days, took the computer to the shop, getting the speakers worked on. We're going to get it all locked in for those Zoom calls that we're going to be rolling on in the fall. Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com, little uh, Big Sky Conference preseason polls, uh, standings, debates, and uh, all-conference teams. Get to the all-conference team in just a minute, but one last thought. You look at Northern Arizona's Conference schedule. They open with Idaho at home, then they're at Portland State versus Cal Poly at UC Davis at Idaho State. So if you win that home opener, you have an okay chance to be four and two going into November, or even five and one. Uh, you know, if, if you were to if you were to figure out a way, I guess four and one uh, with Montana State coming to town to open November, right? But also, so let's say that you score this out for for Northern Arizona. Let's say they lose at Davis, they lose to Montana State at home, they lose to Weber uh, at home as well. Okay, but even if they win those other five games, now you're sitting at 5-3 and three in the league. But this is what's going to be so interesting about NAU is I actually think they have the most advantageous non-conference schedule in terms of enhancing a playoff resume. Like the Cats are almost certainly going to go 2-1 and one in league play with – two wins that are not any sort of resume builder with McNeese State and Moorhead State at home, and then an FBS loss to Oregon State. The Grizz do have a, a, a pretty quality FCS opponent in South Dakota coming to town, but you kind of expect the Grizz to roll through their non-conference. But NAU, they're at Arizona State. Okay, probably going to lose that one uh, in Tempe. But then they also are at Sam Houston, and they host North Dakota. So you split those and go... Five and three in league, ah, you're a bubble playoff team. You win both of those, go five and three in league, you're, you might be in the playoffs. And if you win both of those and do better than five and three in league, you beat one of those other teams that we're like assuming that they're going to lose to Montana State, Weaver State, UC Davis, you're definitely in the playoffs if you're in a U. So I do think that they have opportunities early and in the middle of their schedule to really build a, a playoff resume.
1: They do, yeah. And if they get one of those non conference wins, because obviously at Sam Houston is going to be a tough one. North Dakota is a really good team that's coming into Flagstaff. There is the the altitude and all that, but North Dakota is a really good team. If they get one of those two, you would think, you know, maybe they are doing better than five and three in league.
0: No, I was now ESPN radio. All right. How about the big sky preseason uh, all conference team? So here's something that's interesting. A lot of times the league, they send out their notes of returning all big sky players or guys that are nominated at each position you could in the past, at least, and I've voted in this for a long time. In the past, you could write in guys, especially for the Players of the Year, that weren't on the the notes. Basically, the notes were a reminder of some of the top returners, but you could vote for whoever you want. Now it's a nominees process, and so like at certain positions, like there's only three quarterbacks nominated in, in in the preseason poll, so you only had choices. Uh, between Jake Dunaway at Sac State, R.J. Martinez at Northern Arizona, and Tommy Molat at Montana State. Oh, by the way, Tommy Milla has never played in a Big Sky conference. He's played in Big Sky games. He's never started in a Big Sky conference game. <laughs> so, and then you know, R.J. Martinez is, is a freshman. He's played in in a you know about eight college football games in his whole life. So that was interesting. I also thought it was interesting. The nominees for most outstanding offensive player. Now, just based on resume, I, I think this is funny. Some people treat their all-conference stuff as a prediction of who they think is going to be all-conference. Some people treat it as a career achievement award to that point. I tend to lean on both sides of that, but I would have voted for Montana State running back Isaiah Afonso as the offensive most outstanding player in the preseason. Afonse, and That's actually who I did vote for in my submitted vote, and the league emailed me back and said, Afonso is actually not the nominee for Montana State. Tommy Molat is. I think that says a lot about what Brent Vegan and his staff thinks of Touchdown Tommy. I also think it says a lot about what the uh, maybe future premonition of health is for Isaiah Afonso. But I also thought it was very interesting because Isaiah Afonso is a much better nominee for this than Tommy Molat, just because of his body of work. The same could be said for Pierre Williams at Sac State. I would have considered voting for him As well, he was not nominated. Jake Dunaway, who was a third-team All-League selection last year and a good quarterback, uh, was the nominee. So then I ended up voting for Alonzo Gilliam, who has a great all-purpose resume at UC Davis, a guy that was in the portal in the offseason and then decided to return to school. Uh, So basically, we ended up going with Alonzo Gilliam, even though we would have voted for two non-nominated players before we got to Gilliam, but those guys weren't nominated, so we couldn't vote for them.
1: Yeah, and it's going to lead to a really interesting result, I think, when it's announced at the Big Sky kickoff, because... Also fascinating for those Grizz people out there, no Grizz were nominated.
0: Oh. So they... you couldn't you could have even voted for a Grizz. So anybody that's screaming out there, oh, you'd vote for Afonso because you're a cat guy? No. Well I mean, there is no cat Grizz in this whole thing. We would have voted for Afonso because he's going to be the leading rusher in Montana State history by the time his career is done. But... There was no Grizz nominee, so that you're right. It's gonna it's gonna equal an interesting result.
1: Yeah, and I think and it's almost like you know I would think Jake Dunaway is probably gonna win it almost by default because a lot of people are used to voting just for a quarterback for this award for one thing, even though uh, not a ton of great candidates at that position in the league this year, and because I think a lot of people probably would have voted for Isaiah Fonce because he does have the best resume of the returning running backs, are or, or right up there with guys like. Alonzo Gilliam or Elijah Dotson, who's now in Northern Colorado. Uh, so interested to see that, but no no complaints with Afonso being the original pick.
0: So we ended up settling on Gilliam. Consider
1: Jake Dunaway as well. We did have Dunaway as our
0: preseason All-Big Sky quarterback. What's the rest of the list look like? I knew this was going to trickle over. We'll keep on rolling. Big Sky breakdown, Big Sky Conference football here on Nuanas Now. Keep it right here. More on the Big Sky and our preseason polls right after this ESPN Radio. And that's when you need our help. That's when you need to call Schulte Law Firm because we know the players, we know the game. We can put people in the best position to achieve the outcome they want. If you've had a bad day, visit jschulteilaw.com. One, two, three. What is now on ESPN Radio. I felt like I spent the, the whole first part of the summer just ripping on all the concerts I was going to. I haven't been to a show in a little while. I actually went to Trombone Shorty uh, right to kick off the 4th of July wh- July weekend. That was fun. Um, but heard there was a heck of a show out there at the Kelow Amphitheater last night. Krungbin sold it out and rocked it. One of my great friends, my buddy Gavin, who's a great music aficionado, saw him down at Warden's Market today. Very fun to run into folks. That's why I go to Warden's, you know. Get a little work done and uh, almost guaranteed to see somebody that you know. But Gavin is a uh, great musician himself, and he was saying Karungman just rocked the house. So glad to hear it. If any of you are out there that uh, went to the show, hopefully you enjoyed yourself. Noah is now at ESPN Radio, talking all the way around the Treasure State, the wide world of sports, diving into Big Sky Conference football. We submitted our preseason polls and preseason All-Big Sky teams earlier uh, this week. And uh, we talked about Offensive Player of the Year. We voted for Alonzo Gilliam of... UC Davis, after wanting to vote for Isaiah Fonse, wanting to vote for Pierre Williams. Neither one, though, nominated. So it's a nominee process from the coaching staffs and the teams. Quarterback, though, we went with Jake Dunaway, who was the nominee from Sac State uh, offensively, and I think that that's the, that's the pick. You know, R.J. Martinez is a great up-and-comer at Northern Arizona. Tommy Molat, you could say the same for at Montana State, but he has such a small body of work. Dunaway was a third-team All-Big Sky guy last year. I thought he was really good, especially when he was really sharp. And he was really sharp when we saw him in person uh, against Montana. Andrew Houghton, our producer in the back, who's joining us right now uh, here on ESPN, he had a great story about the the dual quarterback system that Sack was running last year. I think that that's indicative again, which I think because I think that it's going to be almost a landslide that Dunaway is the the preseason pick at quarterback. And I also think it will be a landslide for the all purpose position spot. Asher O'Hara, the other quarterback at Sac State, I think he's going to take that spot for sure. So, uh, pretty pretty interesting that the defending Big Sky champions have two All Conference guys back at the position that's considered the most important in football.
1: Yeah, and Asher O'Hara would have been a real great uh, candidate for for quarterback for first team quarterback. I I like him a little bit better than Dunaway. Actually, I think he's well, he's certainly more dynamic, a better runner. I think he brings a lot more energy to that team. Um they're in a good spot if of course they can make it work and and you get through one season with with two guys splitting snaps okay you got to come back and do it again and there's always going to be the issues of of ego and um you know thinking you're the guy for the job we'll see if that flares up at Sac State but uh they made it work last year and that was honestly one of my favorite stories to do for Skyline Sports uh last season because it was so sure. so unorthodox i mean nobody Nobody runs a, a true two-quarterback system. I mean, a lot of teams have a, totally. a change of pace guy. Yeah. These guys are, are straight-up splitting snaps.
0: And that's why they're so hard to defend. They run all these press and pick concepts in their route trees. That's difficult within itself. They also run a true quarterback two-quarterback system in which the quarterbacks are completely different. Ash O'Hara's one of the best running quarterbacks in the league. Jake Dunaway doesn't run much at all, but he's a— You know, precise type guy. He's kind of like a, I don't want to call him a poor man's because he's a good player as well. He reminds me of Jake Mayer at UC Davis, though. Just kind of a decisive guy that's going to pick you apart. But then they also run this two-back system as well that gives all sorts of defenses, namely the Montana Grizzly defense, so many troubles. So they are definitely offensively diverse and unorthodoxed there at Sac State under Troy Taylor. I thought the running backs was very interesting as well. Because Isaiah Fonse and Alonzo Gilliam are kind of the career achievement guys, but you could also say the same thing about Josh Davis at Weber State, uh, Elijah Dotson in Northern Colorado, even though he's with a new team. Uh, there's a lot of good running backs in the league. And also, crazy enough, the forgotten man in the Big Sky Conference running backs room is the guy at Montana, Marcus Knight. But he was an All-American a couple of years ago and set a uh, Montana school record for touchdowns in a single season. So, um, crazy to think that these guys all broke in the league and all were big-time contributors as true freshmen, and now here they are at the ends of their careers all in the same season. It, it's almost as like we should just make sure that all five of these guys are on the all-Big Sky team at the end because they're all going to be like 4,000-yard rushers by the time this season is over.
1: Well, that's the thing. If Anse and Gilliam have to be the picks going into the season because there are questions about the other guys, I mean, Josh Davis coming off a real bad injury from last year. Marcus Knight, of course, didn't play last year. Elijah Dotson switching teams within the conference. But all, all, all five of those guys are the same level of talent. First-team first all-conference-level guys at their best.
0: Well, I mean, with Josh Davis, this is his second bad knee injury. But Josh Davis, when he's at his best, is an all-American. I mean, he's like a first-team all-American. When he was a sophomore, when he was fully healthy, I mean, he, he is so, so good. I mean, we saw Isaiah Fonse set Montana State's single-season rushing record a year ago. Alonzo Gilliam uh, has led the league in rushing once and been in the league rushing title race for three years running. So, uh, you know, and then Marcus, Marcus Knight scored more touchdowns than anybody, including Chase Reynolds. So pretty good accolades for Montana's running back as well.
1: Yeah, and not a, not a surprise to see any of those five guys on the first team at the end of the season. Also, the freshman of the year coming back from Northern Arizona, or I guess not freshman of the year, but Kevin Daniels at Northern Arizona. One of the best freshman
0: running backs. He was a freshman All-American there at NAU. is now ESPN Radio. Uh, fullback is interesting as well, twofold. One, because he used to always pick the fullback in the league, At Cal Poly, because he was going to be the guy that got the ball all the time. Cal Poly's not running the triple option anymore. You would also usually look at Weber State as a team with fullback, but they've had a couple real veteran guys that have moved on now uh, from graduation. And then the guy who was supposed to be the pick here at fullback as a returning senior at Idaho in Logan Kendall. He was a first-team All-League pick last year. He transferred to Utah. So uh, our vote was for R.J. Fitzgerald. Uh, He's wearing number forty-one at Montana State. He'll be a team captain. A kid from Dylan. He's actually a Grizz legacy guy, uh, but that ship sailed. We told that story before. We'll maybe tell it again later on. But as of right now, uh, he's the guy. He's the pick at fullback. I thought tight end was a shoe in I thought Marshall Martin is the guy because he's been first-team all-league two years in a row at Sac State. Uh, he's a he's a, just a, kind of your new-age wing, you know, spread tight end. And but uh, but you know, the one guy that wasn't on the ballot that I think could freak out and get into that all-league uh,
1: category is. Uh, Cole Grossman at Montana. Yeah, he's got the he talent and the ability to do it. The other guy there is the McAllen Castles down at UC Davis. Yes. Who is going to be he's, – he's an NFL – he's a prospect. He's yeah. going to get some NFL draft buzz, and so that might help, you know, if he has a good season when we're talking about end-of-the-year all-conference guys.
0: Yeah, it's uh, – you know, Derek Snell is also a very athletic and diverse guy – that I know the coaching staff at Montana State really likes too. It's just hard to—I I don't know—projecting Project, and predicting that guys like Derek Snell and Cole Grossman could be all-league. That's not what I vote for in this. Uh, I, you know, sometimes you, you go that route, but I do think it, they got to be a little bit proven. Uh, Nuance now, ESPN Radio are all big sky picks. We'll start rolling through these a little quicker here. Uh, at wide receiver, I thought Pierre Williams was a shoe in. I asked Andrew because he wrote a great feature on the Eastern Washington receivers a year ago uh, who he would pick between Efton Chisholm, the third from Eastern, and Freddie Roberson. He said Chisholm, so that's how we voted. And then our third receiver, Bo Kelly. And it was funny, after we did some statistical research, we actually realized that he was a shoe in, even though we were debating him as like the third receiver spot. We didn't know this until we were looking this up last night. Bo Kelly led the Big Sky Conference in catches, receiving yards, and touchdowns last year. 69 catches, 981 yards, 10 touchdowns a year ago.
1: Yeah, if he wasn't at Portland State, he'd be a low-key kind of dark horse, kind of good pick for offensive player of the year. A real candidate for it.
0: I mean, that was their nominee for it, for sure. Yeah, uh, so those are our receivers. Our offensive line, uh, one of the most interesting parts about the offensive line is I thought three, well, twofold. One, I thought three of the best candidates were at UC Davis, and we did vote for Connor Pedick at center, and Jake Parks at guard. So th- that's interesting that Dan Hawkins has been able to sort of quietly build uh, the most talented offensive line in the conference, which is, is tough to do when you have schools like Montana State, Eastern Washington, Weber State, that have such great offensive line tradition. But UC Davis has been able to, to definitely do uh, to hang tough. Brandon Weldon was a second-team all-league pick last year uh, at Sac State, and he's back, so we voted for him at guard. Our tackles Noah Atagi, who was a uh, All American a year ago at Weaver State, and then Jonas Leader, who was a third team All League guy at Portland State. The other interesting part, I said twofold: one, UC Davis with the talented offensive line, and two, the All Big Sky um, teams last year. Offensive line was just one position, so it was like I think there was six first team All League offensive linemen, six second team offensive linemen. This is by position, so that was a little bit confusing as well because there was a couple guys like Hunter McGinnis from Montana, for example. I might put him on my list of the top six linemen in the league, but he's also the third most decorated lineman in the league because he was a third-team guy last year as a guard. Jake Parks was the first-team guy. Brandon Weldon was a second-team guy, so it's hard to put McGinnis over those guys when you put it in by position, but if it was just the six or seven guys – Uh, maybe you put McGinnis on your list. So I thought that was interesting. And maybe they're changing this up a little bit on us. Definitely better to do it
1: this way, to break it down by position, though, in my
0: opinion. For sure, especially because, like, well, see, I I think that nuance is, is important in this because I've always thought that, you know, positions were created to help the layman fan understand things a little bit better. But there's also such detail to positions in football. For example, left tackle and right tackle are way different. So even if you're just voting for tackles, like sometimes the right tackles get left out to dry, if you had all conference for each tackle spot, that's a you know distinctly different spot just like center is distinctly different than the other offensive line spots uh, as well. We had uh, for our specialists on the uh, offense Kyle Santowski from Sac State he was a first-team All-League guy last year, so just pencil him in. And then Malik Flowers, multiple-time All-American at Montana, was our return specialist, as we mentioned earlier, Asher O'Hara from Sac State as our uh, all-purpose player. What's up with the defense? Let's do that next. But we'll take one more break, pay one more set of bills, our All-Big Sky selections. We're turning it into an hour here. Why not? Keep it right here. New now more All-Big Sky on the defensive side of the ball right for this on ESPN Radio. statewide on SWX Montana Television. Time's just flying by today because I got a golf-filled weekend on the horizon. Welcome back. Nuana's Now, the last Nu-on is Now of the week. Thanks for kicking it with us here on your Wednesday. About 15 minutes away from Matt Brown joining us. He is the publisher of Extra Points, a newsletter talking about all things college football, writing about all things college football, reporting about all things college football. And he's going to talk to us about all things college football alignment for our ESPN roundtable to get our number two kicked off. But first, we will finish giving you our picks for our all-big-sky teams. On the defensive side of the ball, here's how we voted. Most outstanding player, Patrick O'Connell, the uh, edge-rushing Dynamo senior from Kalispell, captain of the 2022 Uh, Montana Grizzlies, it's funny because you think the guy that was the runner-up for the Buck Buchanan Award, I guess maybe he finished third. There's three big sky guys in the top four in Troy Anderson of Montana State, Patrick O'Connell, and Justin Ford of Montana, none of whom won the award. (laughs) But you'd think that one of the two guys returning, the two Grizzlies, would be a shoe-in pick, but I actually thought that there was a lot of guys uh, on the um, nominations for the defensive side that were – They were worthy. I mean, Anthony Adams of Portland State's a multiple-time All-American guy. Um, I mean, Justin Ford wasn't even possible to vote for all, even though he was a unanimous first-team All-American a year ago. So uh, there's a lot of good defensive guys back in this league this year.
1: A lot of guys, I think a lot of people are going to end up at at Patrick O'Connell. Yeah. Um, Just because, I mean, you look at the the players who win this award, and it's – a lot of times it's the big pass rusher. If it's not, right. it's the middle linebacker who racks up a ton of tackles. Patrick O'Connell is going to have both. Exactly.
0: That's what makes him so rare is you you would be hard-pressed to find a guy anywhere, any level of football, that has 100-plus tackles and 10-plus sacks, let alone 14 sacks and 21 or 22, whatever it was, tackles for loss. Right. That's the guy who is, uh, who's versatile. He's the best player on the field no matter what role you put him in. I mean – I thought Patrick O'Connell was the best player on the field when he was on the field for all but one game that Montana played last year, and the one that he wasn't definitively the best player on the field, it wasn't against the Pac-12 school. He was the best player Sorry. on the field in that game. Like, by a lot, I thought. I mean, he he dominated Washington. He had, like, 12 tackles and two sacks. I mean, he was uh, completely reckless and a wrecking crew all onto his own. So, okay, Patrick O'Connell, I think not only was that an easy choice for us, I think it'll be an easy choice for the league. Our defensive ends. This was this was actually hard. I thought one was easy. BJ Malo from Portland State, who is a former junior college transfer, who is a dude. He was a second team all league guy a year ago. He got hurt though and missed some time. He still racked up. I think he was like second or third in the league in sacks. So uh, he should be a stalwart there for Portland State. No other all league defensive ends returned this year. So pretty much everybody else on the ballot were guys that were. Uh, maybe honorable mention type guys and or like Brody Grebe at Montana State spot pass rushers with a little bit of statistics, but this was sort of a projection. I ended up just going with Brody Grebe because I do think that he's going to have a huge role at Montana State. I mean, they've sort of put him on a leadership pedestal as only a sophomore. Uh, He's doing a lot of their interviews. You know, they've sort of anointed him as a leader and uh, he's a pretty darn good player too. I mean, he, he has put on a lot of mass since coming out of Melstone, Montana. Uh, but this was kind of tough
1: outside of Malo in terms of the defensive end yeah I'm not sure how many other candidates I mean we know that there will be players who emerge from sort of that group uh we just don't really know who they are now and and Greeby has a lot of pretend, potential uh we, yeah I mean it's 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 tough to pick anybody else out because a lot of sacks graduated out of the league for sure uh, the two, the two first team guys Daniel Hardy from Montana State
0: Josiah Robinson or Josiah Erickson excuse me of. Uh, Sacramento State, uh, both graduated. Defensive tackles, um, I thought this was easy. Alex Gubner and Joshua Jerome. Uh, Governor of Montana, Joshua Jerome of Eastern Washington. I thought both these guys were really good last year. I think they should be great as seniors. For as good as Governor was last year and as decorated as he was, getting second team all the league when you're not a senior is uh, a good accomplishment in this league. I still think Gubner has, at the same time, the potential to be one of the best players in this league, and uh, one of the breakout players in this league. I think a lot of people know about him. I think a lot of people are about to learn about him. Uh, I think that he has the opportunity to be you know, a, a real-deal All-American type guy who's then maybe playing his way into some opportunities beyond this year as well if he has a good senior year.
1: Yeah, Governor is, a, you know, if there was a Skyline Sports All-Stars team that we picked, yeah. I'm just guys who are our favorites in the league. Yeah, yeah. Alex Governor would have to be on there. He'll get um, he he has the chance to get some publicity too because they do do the things like dropping him back into coverage. And, yep, you know yep. he had that year where he had four interceptions. Yep, a couple years ago. He he's a good player. I uh,
0: I also think that it goes underrated how unbelievably durable he's been. I mean, when you're playing the true inside nose, and I know that they rotate a lot. And Eli Alford the last this last year got a lot of reps as well. But he he plays the reps when he's asked to play, always. like He's never not in when it's his turn to rotate in. That's a really impressive uh, circumstance there at inside linebacker. I think the other reason defensive end was tough is because the two best edge guys in the league were actually nominated as outside linebackers, and that's Patrick O'Connell, who is a true edge, and then David Hogue at Northern Colorado. Fascinating guy who was on our show last year. I can't wait to have him on again because he was talking... Uh, he, he's a culinary aficionado. He was going to spend a portion of this last summer in France at a culinary school, but the uh, Northern Colorado standout, he's sort of a hybrid. He he does play with his hand in the dirt sometimes, whereas O'Connell's always standing up even if he's moving around. So I thought that made the the outside linebackers uh, stacked and the defensive ends maybe a little bit less. The inside linebackers, though, that was interesting with no more Jace Lewis, uh, no more Troy Anderson, no more Trey Walker, some of the best guys in the league graduated. We voted for uh, Callahan O'Reilly of Montana State and Fayave, Fayave, I believe that's how you say his name, of Idaho, who was actually, I think, the the sixth leading tackler in the league a year ago, even though he was playing behind one of the top three tacklers in the league in Trey Walker. Not behind, next to one of the top three tacklers in the league. So, I mean, what do you think of those linebackers? The outside guys are kind of shoe-ins, and uh, the inside guys kind of projections.
1: The inside guys are, are... I th- I think pretty easy to pick, but it's just interesting because both of those guys were underneath
0: the, the first, two best guys the, in the, the league. two first team inside
1: <laughs> yeah. linebackers from last year. Yeah,
0: right. For sure. Uh I think O'Reilly, though, has been invaluable to Montana State, and I think that he is an underrated guy. I mean, he led the team in tackles in twenty nineteen. He was really, really solid there on the inside spot next to Troy Anderson, uh, in twenty twenty one and uh I think the Bozeman product, former high school quarterback, prone for a big year. At corner, a lot of really uh, worthy guys. We ended up going with Justin Ford and Anthony Adams because those are probably uh, the two most decorated guys in the league outside of Montana's Robbie Houck, uh, just in terms of All-American stuff. Uh, Anthony Adams is the flex guy in Portland State's flex defense, so he plays all over the field, all over the formation, and he's been an an, uh, All-American multiple years in a row because he gets so many opportunities to make plays on the ball. Ford, an unbelievable nine interceptions last year, plus uh, three pick sixes. So he's got a lot of statistical ammunition here. But I also think Eddie Heckard at Weber State, I mean, there's some other good corners he had to leave off the list. I think corners a strong position in the league this year.
1: I think secondary might be the the deepest and maybe the toughest positions to pick on this first-team all-conference because it is... It's a little bit shocking that no Weber State guys on on there at all. Even though they're going to have one of the best secondaries in the league. They will probably have the best secondary in the league, yeah. Totally, and I think Simeon Woodard
0: is another guy at Montana State who's a potential breakout guy. Uh, He had four interceptions as a freshman a year ago. Uh, There's a lot of young guys in the league that could be breakouts. There's some veteran guys, so it was hard to pick corners. Safeties, I thought, was a little bit difficult as well. If it was up to me in terms of what I think a guy does in the defense, I would have actually had Anthony Adams listed as a safety, not a corner. That's here nor there. Maybe that would have had another spot for Eddie Heckard. But we did go safety-wise with Ty Okada, who's actually kind of more of a nickel, which I think they should have a position for that too because a lot of teams in the league are playing a true nickel, a true rover. But Ty Okada from Montana State, Robbie Hauk of Montana. But there is, there's a lot of talented safeties as well. And it's so interesting because Okada and Hauk, they're going to have a ton of statistical production if they stay healthy because they both play in the box. Like they are primary tacklers in their respective teams' run fits. So, you know, there's some nuances to the position, but the ultimate vote was uh, Ty Okada and and Robbie Hauk. So a Montana flavor at uh, safety.
1: Yeah, Montana flavor in the whole secondary. Yeah, there are a lot of a lot of good players. I mean, like I mentioned Morgan Vest coming back for Northern Arizona. You know Weber State's going to have a couple guys. I mean, they've got like Desmond Williams, who's the Boise State transfer who came back, played only half the year last year cuz he was coming off an injury. He's a good player. I mean, I- Weber State's probably got three or four guys who are first right up there, first-team all-caliber conference guys in the secondary, as they always do. Yeah, it's funny. I've been
0: talking about Weaver's secondaries being really good. I got to also – and I said Montana State's going to have a good secondary. I have to reemphasize this. I think the Grizz are going to have among the best units at all three levels of their defense. So I'm, That's why maybe we haven't been saying specifically this is a huge strength. You want to know what the the strength of the defense in the Big Sky is? It's the Grizz defense. They're going to have some of the best players all three levels. So, uh, you know, if you're, you're hemming and hawing about, oh, the Cats got a great secondary, what about the Grizz? Well, the Grizz are really good at all three levels, and I think they have in, uh, outstanding depth uh, at all three levels of their defense as well. The last couple guys that made our squad uh, at punter, we picked Bryce Layton, who I thought was outstanding at Montana State last year. It would have been Brian Buschini. But he's no longer there. He is at, uh, of Montana that is, he is now at Nebraska. Long snapper, uh, coin flip, always tough to diagnose when you're not front and center unless you're front and center for a guy like Matt O'Donohue, but he's not in the league anymore, so we went with Cruz Rubio of Cal Poly. All Big Sky preseason teams and polls, a full hour's worth. Why wouldn't we? That wraps up hour number one. How about Matt Brown, the, public, the publisher of the Extra Point newsletter, here on the ESPN Roundtable to get our number two kicked off. That's next. Keep it right here in Nuwana's Now, ESPN Radio.